Yes, I would say amen to that as well. Um, because without the grace of God, we would not, any of us, be here even tonight. Um, I just want to say thank you to uh, Brother Mark for the the opening, the remarks. And I have a I have a habit of when when a a story from Scripture is is read and 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 expounded on i have a habit and and most of the time i would say it's a good habit maybe not tonight because it's 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 got me a little bit derailed here to to the forthcoming message lord willing but i just have i just have a comment yet thinking about this this passage that that mark read and that is to think about an all-sufficient god one whom before he created everything that was, he was completely fulfilled. He needed nothing. And yet because of a, a, a choice that he made, apparently, to create a being that would bring him of their own volition honor and glory. He created man. And then he looked down on this mess. And what stood out to me in the passage that was read was where it says, and it grieved him at his heart. Now, we understand that God is omniscient. And so, no doubt he knew that he would one day look down on this scene before he even created man. And that's another quite amazing thing, that he went ahead with this whole thing. But to think that God after being so satisfied with his creation of man, because after he created man, he looked, and what did he say? Behold, it was what? Very good. Very good. And then he looked down on this mess, and with the exception of a very few select people, he was grieved at his heart. That's that's a pretty amazing thing. Well, Brenda and I are, are blessed uh, to be here. Um, and even in light of, of the fact that I, I, I feel a bit unorganized and, and unprepared, I'm glad to be here tonight. It's been a very busy week and I'm, I'm glad to set aside all of that for a while and be here with you. And tonight I want to just look a little bit, i titled our, our lesson, God's View of Family. And so what I'd like to do for a little bit tonight, and I go a little bit out on a limb. I brought a, a message, I think, similar to this um, at home some time ago. And I feel like I go, I'm go. i going a little bit out on a, on a limb here. So I, as we've been talking about grace, I trust you'll extend grace if I say some things that, that maybe are a little, a little hard or a little difficult. But I want to look at, at maybe compare God's view of our physical families to our view of our physical families, and then also God's view of spiritual family and our view of spiritual family. Because, and I'm speaking from my perception, I guess, when I say this. You may have a different perception than this. 
But I would say that our view of physical family, our view of our immediate families, the ones that we we share the same DNA and, and, and it's our in our makeup, our flesh and blood, I would say that our view of that family and God's view are probably not too far apart. The scripture has quite a number of of instruction concerning our our children and the raising of our children and, and just our physical families. There is quite a bit said that. God uh, holds that very highly. Um, and, you, and when we think, though, of the spiritual family, I wonder, I wonder if if our perception sometimes as as Christians is very close to what God's perception of the spiritual family is. I say that only, I say that based on observation that I make. And in the world of Christianity at large, and I would even include um, conservative Christians, and I would even cons- I would even include believers in in our own circles. That it would seem to me that maybe we have placed less value on the spiritual family, the family of of Christ, Christians, and and. Uh, what it means, and you see, in the in the world around us, there is there's been a push in the in the last number of years that you hear you hear a lot of the me and Jesus um, Christianity and the thought that there's not so much value or importance in the collective or the corporate church family. I would argue that that I believe that God places very high uh, value and level of importance, and so maybe there's a little more of a a space between our view of the Christian family and God's view of the Christian family than there is between how God looks upon our physical families. And so tonight, in some of the things that that I want to share, please don't misunderstand me in the thought that I'm trying to lower the value or the level of importance of our of our flesh and blood physical families. I am not. What I'm really wanting us to do is not lose the value of our church families, of our, our fellowship. Um, so maybe to begin with, um, as we've gathered here for a weekend of meetings, what is your view of of meetings or even beyond revival meetings or a weekend meeting such as this regular church services what what is your view of those things is it just another uh, routine formality to get through and then we can get back to anniversaries birthdays and baseball or, or is your view of these times of gathering together as church family a time of viewing fellowship with our eternal family? And 
out of curiosity more than anything, I I looked up the uh, the definition of fellowship. And the first definition, I would just say it was just a, a carnal definition of, of fellowship, was a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. And so just kind of hold that. It, it's a friendly association, especially with people who share one's interest. And then I, I looked on down a little further. I looked at spiritual fellowship. And it said, this is fellowship that's created by the Holy Spirit. It's sustained by the Holy Spirit. And it's directed by the Holy Spirit. And it said, and this is what makes the fellowship of the Christian church unique. And I would just, I would just like to highlight that, that thought to us tonight as, as a part, a very small part of the, of the Church of Jesus Christ at large, but we are a part of something very unique. Yes, and even as as Mark shared about the the decline of of man, of humanity back in the days of Noah, and I believe he also uh, indicated that when we look at the statistics today, at least in America, we see a decline. And you know, we do have the scripture that that backs that. It says that. When the end times comes, it will be much as it was when? In the days of Noah. And so this shouldn't surprise us, but we can, as we've been encouraged already, we can praise God that no matter how dark the world gets, there will always be a remnant. There was a remnant back in the days of Noah, and there'll be a remnant no matter how dark the world gets because Jesus promised that the gates of hell would never um, annihilate the church of, of Christ. So this fellowship that we have, that we have the opportunity to meet together and, and share as family under the finished work of Christ, it's a unique thing. The, the other religions, the false religions around us that, that seem to have very strong influence and, and, and is, are very convincing they don't share this unique fellowship of, of Christian believers. I'm going to take us now in Scripture to a, a story in the Bible that you may wonder, why in the world is he going there? But turn with me, if you will, to the book of Joshua, the seventh chapter. I looked at this story in, a, in a, another message entirely, and as it has stayed on my mind, I've, I just want to, to pull a few thoughts from this story along the line that we're thinking tonight, thinking about God's view of family. And this, I guess to me, and not to be negative or, or a downer tonight, but to me, this story in the seventh chapter of Joshua is probably one of the saddest stories in the Bible. And we're, we don't want to finish there, but there's some things. We're not necessarily going to talk about, about Achan himself. This is the story of the sin of Achan. But rather, some of the, the facts of this story that I want to look at as we think about the, the corporate church, the family of, of God. 
And so I, I want to, um, I want to read a part of this. I'm not going to read all of this chapter, uh, for the sake of time. But, uh, beginning at Joshua chapter seven, verse one, I just want to read down through this story for, for a ways. I'm not sure how far we'll go. It begins here, uh, we're reading from Joshua chapter seven, verse one. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Bethaven, on the east side of Bethel, and spake unto them, saying, Go up and view the country. And the men went up and viewed Ai. And they returned to Joshua and said unto him, Let not all the people go up. But let about two or three thousand men go up and smite Ai, and make not all the people to labor thither, for they are but few. So there went up thither of the people about three thousand men, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai smote of them about thirty and six men, for they chased them from before the gate even unto Shebarim, and smote them in the going down. Wherefore, the hearts of the people melted and became as water. And Joshua rent his clothes and fell to the earth upon his face before the ark of the Lord until the eventide. And the elders of Israel and, and put dust upon their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, wherefore hast thou at all brought this people over Jordan to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? Would to God we had been content and dwelt in the, on the other side Jordan. O Lord, what shall I say when Israel turneth their backs before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land shall hear of it and shall environ us round and cut off our name from the earth. And what wilt thou do unto thy great name? And the Lord said unto Joshua, Get thee up, wherefore liest thou thus upon thy face? Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant which I commanded them, for they have even taken of the accursed thing, and have also stolen and dissembled also, and have put it even among their own stuff. Therefore the children of Israel could not stand before their enemies, but turned their backs before their enemies, because they were accursed. Neither will I be with you any more, except ye destroy the accursed from among you. I'm going to stop reading there for a minute. The, the verses that I want to take out of this um, for, for some thought tonight. Verse 1, look at the way this starts. But the children of Israel committed a trespass in the accursed thing. For Achan took of the accursed thing, and the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. Very similar, look at verse 11 where God told Joshua, he said, Israel hath sinned, and they have also transgressed my covenant. This, this makes me wonder about why God chose to address this situation as he did. One man in the whole tribe of Israel, in the whole congregation of their people, one man, committed this sin and God held that held the entire uh tribe of Israel responsible for that 
why? You know, I, and, and I've wondered sometimes why God does some of the things that he does. And I know that God can because he's God. Why he became so harsh with this, this instance and why he chose to lay this sin upon the entire family of the Israelites rather than to just single out Achan and deal with, and deal with him individually. And so this thought came to my mind as I, as I tried to live through this thing. In this chapter, we find God's judgment on his family. God judged the entire tribe because of the sin of one man. And, and even though I know it says here in verse one, it said at the end of the verse, it says the anger of the Lord was kindled against the children of Israel. And I think it means just that. I believe God was angry with them. But at the same time, his, his choice in, in disciplining his people and doing what he did here at the end of this, of this story, he did that because he valued his family. The judgment that God sent upon the Israelites was because of his love and his, and, and his value for them. If he hadn't cared about them, maybe he would have just let them continue in their sin. Maybe he would have just destroyed the whole lot of them. But I had to wonder also, what if today in our, in our brotherhood, what if God decided to deal like this? What would our brotherhood look like today? If God decided to deal with and hold you accountable even for my sins. He did it back here. I believe that God wanted to make a, a very vivid impact upon his people. I don't think that God wanted to wanted to do what he did to Achan and everything that he had. And I want to pick up and read a little more of this. I don't believe he did that because he hated his people. I think it was much the opposite. You know, the, the Bible says even concerning uh, when, it, when he's talking about the training up of our own children, he says that, that they are to be disciplined. And, and there's a passage, there's a verse that says, whom the father loveth, he, dis he, he chasteneth. And so this, even though the anger of God was kindled against his people, I believe his, his action of discipline, his disciplinary actions was taken because he loved them. And he placed a high value on his family. <clears throat> there's a, there's a passage in, in Hebrews chapter 12, 15. You don't need to turn there, but it says, uh, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitter, bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know, I believe that God took the actions that he did because he didn't want the sin spreading. And it's also interesting that in this sin of Achan, that the entire tribe, now, I don't know if this was like 
a couple of million people and and it would have probably been physically impossible for the entirety of the children of Israel to be involved in this stoning that took place of Achan. But it says that they were all there and maybe as at least as many as could were there and witnessed that. And I had to think what that must have been like because there's no, there's really nothing mentioned in scripture about, about Achan. What for, I mean, as far as we know, he was an upstanding man, a, a well-respected and a one that was liked. And yet in this moment of weakness, he saw these things and he coveted them. It says that in verse 21 of this chapter, he says, when I saw, well, I wanted to read his, his confession as well in verse 20. When, well, when Joshua They called him by tribes and by families out, and it came down to Achan. And Joshua looked at Achan, and he says, Tell me what you have done. And Achan answered Joshua and and said, in verse 20, Indeed, I have sinned against the Lord God of Israel, and thus and thus have I done. And he said, When I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment, and two hundred shekels of silver, and a wedge of gold of fifty shekels weight, then I coveted them, and took them, and behold, they are hid in in the earth, in the midst of my tent, and the silver under it. When Achan was taken down there to the valley of Achor, and all of the the family, I'm going to call I'm going to call them a family because they were they were God's chosen people. They were God's family, chosen family at that time, and we're focusing on the value of the family and how God views that. And I just, I can't imagine what kind of impact that would have had on these people to see this man. And and yet, if you would read some that we have skipped over there from verse like 13 on down through 14, 15, 16 in there, and, and actually the last verse I did read there, it said uh, in verse 12, it says, neither will I be with you anymore except you destroy the accursed from among you. You know, if if... If we as a people, if we knew that God was going to abandon us if we didn't rectify a certain problem, that tends to um, encourage us to, to take action. I believe it would. And they had experienced the grace of God at Jericho. They had had a wonderful victory. And then they went to, to Ai, little old Ai that said, don't even take all of your your fighting men there just that it'll it'll be an easy victory and they and they lost because of the sin of one man they lost it says around 36 men so maybe i don't know maybe for the the families of those 36 men and maybe some of their close blood relatives maybe maybe it was a an easy thing for them to to view this stoning of one of their own one of one of the the children of Israel, I don't know. I know, you know, the, the emotions run high when we see our loved ones being abused. And, and but just this whole story has, has caused me to, to think that maybe the reason God dealt with this thing this way, by, by laying the sin of one man on the entire family and, and using the entire family to carry out his judgment against against this one man Achan, it shows me that that God maybe had a 
in his mind, had a bigger picture. Well, I'm sure he does. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that God in general, he looks at a picture that is much larger than the one that we look at. We are in the physical, so it's pretty easy at times. If we, if we don't focus on faith, it's pretty easy to, uh, for us to focus on the physical. And I think, I think that's one reason that maybe we tend to, to, to view our, our physical families and the, the, the wonderful things of that as maybe more valuable to, to us than the spiritual family. Personally, I wouldn't like to see us uh, show less value in our physical families, but I would like to see us as, as Christians hold a, a higher element of, of love and, and endearment to the Christian family, the, the family of faith and believers. I want to look at a little bit at a couple of verses in Galatians chapter 6. I think this is a, a passage that we studied not too long ago in, in Sunday school. And uh, we did have, in, in our class, we had a, a very interesting discussion on this. And I just want to look at, at the first five verses here of, of this chapter 6. It says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. But let every man prove his own work, and then shall uh, he have rejoicing in himself alone and not in another, for every man shall bear his own burden. And there was some discussion in that, how those two verses, first it says, bear ye one another's uh, burden. And then in verse 5 it says, every man shall bear his own burden. Um, I don't think that's it's contradictory um, to say that. I believe that it's there's a charge here in this in this first verse that we read about bearing one another's burdens. There's a charge there that we are a family and we have a we are our brother's keeper. We we have a a responsibility to if we, if we see one of the family struggling that we we don't go and, and tear him down even further, talk to our friends and, and such. But we're to, to come come around and, and and help bear their burden, help get bring them to victory. And yet verse five makes it very clear that at the end of the day, you can't answer for my sins. I can't answer for yours. We stand before God to be in judgment for our own actions whether they be good or whether they be evil. There's some verse to that to that effect as well. One of the, I, I mentioned responsibilities, and I believe it is a responsibility of, of ours as a part of the church family, is to care about and for each other. It, but it's more than a responsibility. I, I think it's a, it's a blessing. I think it's a, a wonderful thing to receive encouragement 
from someone who's not my wife or my son or my daughter. Another brother in, in the church. It's, it's a wonderful thing, really. And when we think about the value of the church, um, In Luke chapter 8, I want to read a couple of verses there. Luke chapter 8 at verse 19. This, I think, uh, maybe points out, or it's, it's very pointed, I think, at the, the thought that I'm trying to, to bring out. And this is when Jesus had, had been doing a, a number of, of things here. Um, he had expounded on the parable of, of the sower, or he'd given the parable of the sower, and then he had, had explained it and all this, and he was teaching. And suddenly, and it's interesting to me why, if you read through this chapter, when you come to verse 19, I even had to wonder why that even was inserted there. But it's it's spot on on what what my thoughts are tonight. Verse 19 of chapter 8 in, in the book of Luke. Then came to him his mother and his brethren and could not come at him for the press. And it was told him, Jesus, by certain, which said, Thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to see thee. And he answered and said unto them, My mother and my brethren are these which hear the word of God and do it. That can almost give us a, a little bit of a negative picture of our physical families, and I don't think it should. I really don't think it should. But think about what Jesus is saying there. I, I, I looked up a couple of um, commentaries on, on this passage. And so these, I just want to share with you what, what two commentators uh, had to say concerning this passage. One was that no one is a child of God because of human parentage. And then he said, family ties are at best temporal, but spiritual ties are eternal. And as, as wonderful as our, our physical families are in this life and 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 I'm saying this with with an only daughter that I have been extremely close to her entire life in the presence here I hope I don't offend her in saying that in in sharing some of these things and I don't believe I will she knows me better than that Another thing was, another commentator said, the union between God and those who come to Christ will live when all other ties are sundered and will grow more intimate and delightful forever. I can remember a number of times when Brother Hayes Reed would come from California and visit at Dallas Center. And he would preach, he would share a message there, and in his opening greeting, he would often say, it's so good to be back out here. You know, we have a reason. We have, we have re 
a couple of reasons to come to Dallas Center. He said, we have, we have family here. He says, and that's a wonderful time. But he says, I always value the time that we can come and, and be with the family of God. He said that more than once. And, and I just, the first time I heard that, I was quite young and it was pretty much in one ear and out the other. But I come to, I come to realize that I believe he was bearing his heart when he said that. He saw a value in the family of God. And, and I don't want to lose that. Um, I don't know if, if our attendance and participation in, in spiritual gatherings, in church services, I, I don't know if our attendance to those things is, is a barometer for how much value we place in it or not. I, I don't want to make that judgment. But it, it does concern me sometimes when we will forego a, a meeting together with the family of God for maybe a birthday party in the physical family. And, and please, again, don't, don't get me wrong. If, if you have family that comes together from out of state, you're not together. I don't believe God's going to strike anyone down for missing a church service. But what, what we start to practice occasionally, it's not so difficult. It's not unheard of for that to become a norm. And, and I would even just reflect on, on 2020 and this whole, uh, pandemic thing and what it did to the church and to church services when they were canceled. I heard people say, I said it myself. I'm, I'm putting myself in this, what I, what I think would be a, a condemning thought. I don't know, but you know, I heard that, well, yeah, we, we miss getting together, but you know, it sure is nice to just, stay at home and you know maybe our pajamas or in our in our jeans or whatever and listen in and to this this message over the you know over the YouTube or whether it's just recorded or not it's that's really nice i could get used to that but at the same time when we started gathering again i was i was glad to hear comments numerous comments that Oh, we've missed seeing people. It's just so good to be with people. And I praise God for that. Because there is no, there's no uh, media, there's no electronic device, there's no, there's no phone, there's no internet, there's no social media around that. And, and the younger generations might argue this with me, but to me, there's none of that stuff that'll, that'll replace or even come close. To, to looking a brother or sister in the eye and talking to them. Well, we need to uh, wrap up here. Um, I want to I wanna at least touch on the prayer of Jesus that's found in the 17th chapter, I believe, of John. 
I'm going to turn to it. I, this, is, this is one of the most beautiful prayers I believe that was ever prayed, and who could pray it better than, than Jesus himself? This is a wonderful prayer, and he prayed this initially in the beginning of this, this chapter. I, I wonder if maybe he was speaking as he was praying to his Father in heaven, if maybe he wasn't addressing uh, God on behalf of maybe his disciples or those that were around him um, closely because of what he says later on. But a couple of verses that I want to highlight, um, beginning maybe at verse 9, the, the prayer of Jesus. He says, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me. Now listen to this. This is what Jesus prayed, that they may be one as we are. That's amazing. How are we doing? Well, let's keep going. Uh, well, I just want to turn back over uh, verse 20. Let's start there. That, this is where if we weren't included, you and I, if we weren't included in the first part of this prayer that we just read, this will convince us otherwise. Verse 20, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are. I love that prayer. You know, does it sink into us that Christ prayed that, that you, Brother Wyan, Jonathan, people that are not blood-related to me, you and I through, through Christ, we can be one, even as Jesus and God were one. That's the way I interpret this prayer. And again, I ask you, how are we doing? As a family of God, how are we doing in that oneness? Why is it so easy sometimes to, to dig and tear and criticize? I don't see that as describing the oneness of, of the Father and the Son. How much do we value each other as spiritual family, as Christian family? Um, there's a, a secular song. I, I believe it's probably a fairly old song, and I suppose it would probably fall under the category of country of country music. I don't know. But a couple of the words, a couple of phrases in this song go like this. Let me watch my children grow to see what they become. Lord, don't let that cold wind blow till I'm too old to die young. I want to ask you something. Christian parents, if, if you went home tonight and, and looked at your emails and you had an email directly from God giving you one prayer, that he would absolutely answer it as you wanted it prayed, as you ask. Now, if God gave me one prayer, I could include a lot of things in that prayer. But you could only have one subject, one subject, 
What would the, what would that prayer be? Parents, I'm addressing this to parents. Would it be something like this? Because this song, even though it was a secular song, it was written as it was a prayer. It was written as a prayer. Would your prayer be, let me watch my children grow to see what they become professionally? Maybe, but I, I doubt it. I really doubt it. Would your prayer be that God would give you back maybe a child that you lost in infancy? Maybe. Those are painful times, but I doubt it. Would you ask to maybe have a an 18-month-old child that got run over and killed, would you ask to have that child back if you knew it would be answered? Maybe. But I doubt it. I suspect that at least many of the prayers of Christian parents would be that their children would come to Christ and find salvation. Why do I bring this up in this message? It's because of this. If, If that is what you as a parent would pray, then maybe without even really thinking about it, you are placing a very high value on the family of God. I hope you're picking up what I'm putting down. May God help us to have a high view of our church family that it might help us to have sweeter fellowship in times like this. And we don't know, there may be a day coming that we're going to need each other as Christian family, a lot more than we do today. We're pretty independent today and things are going pretty smooth. But there's areas of the world that's that's getting darker and maybe we won't enjoy all of the self-sufficiency that we have today and we might need each other more. I just encourage us to uh, value each other and even this weekend, let our fellowship Let our reason for being here be for Christian fellowship and not just a a formality that we got to get through till Monday and then life can go on.